We'll turn to 1 Samuel 18. We're continuing, of course, our study, uh, seeing basically 1 Samuel as the history of the nation of Israel. We've been going through it verse by verse, passage by passage. As we look at this, we're seeing the last judge, that's Samuel. He's still alive. It's not going to be much longer. Samuel's going to pass away. We're seeing the first king, Saul. He was chosen, did so good for a while, turned away from God, has become jealous, angry, disobedient to God. And then, and then we're seeing the second king, that's going to be David. David, at this point, still a young man, and we'll see that as we go through through it. So the rest of the book is the, is the transition, because we're going to see the transition from Saul being king to David being king. It all, of course, ends at the very end of the book when Saul is killed and David becomes the, the king. So the rest of the book is that way. When we think about it, Saul was rejected as being king by God. Why? Because he did not obey God and he did not trust God. God told him to go do certain things, do something with the Amalekites, other things. He did, he failed to do that, and then he didn't trust God. Then David has already been anointed as king. Now, he's probably 15 years old. When he's anointed as king, it's going to be another 15 years. He becomes king when he's 30 years old. But why has he been anointed as king? Because he is a man after God's own heart. He is faithful in the little things. He did whatever his father told him to do, whatever anybody's. And then he's faithful in the big things. We saw him the last time, a couple of times ago, where he killed Goliath. So he's a faithful man. As we continue you, we're seeing really a, a terrible time because Saul is the king, but Saul is a not a good man. Saul has turned away from God. Saul is a jealous man. He, he's a prideful man. When his son Jonathan did something really good, Saul was jealous of it and he took credit for it. When David does good things, Saul is jealous. He wants to take credit for it. Saul is already becoming upset with David. David has killed Goliath. Everybody's cheering. Everybody thinks it's great. Well, Saul, who's the king, who should be happy, is, is jealous of David, and he's afraid that David's going to take the kingdom. Of course, David is going to take the kingdom, but that uh, he, nobody knows that exactly at this time. So Saul is actually doing really bad to David. And so how does David react? What can we learn from this passage? And remember, David has killed Goliath, and he's a hero, and Saul dislikes him. And we ended last week with even Saul trying to kill David. And we go, that's, that's ridiculous, but that's what we see. So we'll see it as we go through it this morning. Let me raise a question for you, and that is this. How do we respond when others do us wrong? I mean, think about it. If, if, if nobody's done you wrong yet, they will. Don't worry. You just maybe hadn't lived long enough. But the truth is this, that people will do you wrong. They will hurt you. And the natural response when somebody lies to you, hurts you, does something that's wrong, the natural response is to get them back. The natural response is, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not fair. They should not have done that. That was wrong. And they, they should not get away with that. They're not going to get away with that. Well, what is the the biblical response, because we know the natural response is to try to get people back. Well, what is the biblical response? Well, the supernatural response is actually in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read those verses a little bit later, but it really says, never repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good, and leave vengeance for the Lord. And so what the Bible actually tells us, when somebody does this wrong, we don't get them back. We actually, if we have an opportunity, we actually do good to them. Now, I have to say, that's really hard to do. And, and uh, that, so it's supernatural in the sense it's got to be God's power through us. But he says, leave vengeance for the Lord. And you may say to yourself, somebody does something wrong to me, they're going to get away with it. They're not going to get away with it. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so we'll see that. And we're going to see that as we look at this, Saul goes back on his word to David, and he really does David wrong. How does David respond to all of this? We're going to see, and how should we respond? And we'll look at it as we go through it. Let me just show you something in chapter 18. Look at verse 16, because this 
this is what, uh, how, how David is living his life. Look at verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. The people loved David. David killed Goliath, and people went wild. David is handsome. David is strong. David uh, can play music. David writes songs. David is a warrior. David is not afraid of anything. David lives his life in the power of God. When David fought Goliath, he said, you come with a shield and a spear, but I come in the name of the living God. And so David is a great man. Uh, we say that Saul has problems. Let me remind you of something, that Saul, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, uh, would come upon people for power and for service, but could leave them. It had nothing to do with salvation. In the New Testament, well, after Jesus' death and resurrection, when a person believes in Jesus Christ, when a person puts their faith in Christ for eternal life, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside a person, and it's permanent. Never leave. The Holy Spirit always, leave, uh, always stays. Will never leave. So in the New Testament, every believer has the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, not every believer did. In fact, the Holy Spirit came for certain times we find the Holy Spirit came upon Saul as he became the king. But as he continually rejected God, continually rejected to do the things God wanted to do, God has actually taken the Holy Spirit away from Saul and put it on David. So the Holy Spirit is now with David. Now, what we find out that Saul is having all kind of mental issues. In fact, it says that sometimes Saul uh, starts acting so crazy that they bring in David to play music to calm him down. We saw several weeks ago that it said, an evil spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. Let me read this to you. This is last week in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 18. It says, it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand. Now, people say, what in the world is an evil spirit from the Lord? The truth is, we don't really know. We know it could be this. It could be that God allows a demon to influence Saul. God could allow that. God could just say that he's allowed the evil thoughts and the bad things and the things that Saul has done to come back on him. It could even mean that he's talking about a, a mental aspect because we're going to see that before it's all over, Saul actually is, is mentally ill. Saul ends up killing himself. So Saul is, we, we say today that Saul's got some mental illness. Well, right in the middle of this, whatever this is, this evil spirit from God that came upon him, David came in to play because what had been happening in the past, when David played soft music, it calmed Saul down. But look what happened when we saw this last week. Verse 11, Saul has a spear. In verse 11, it says, Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. We saw last week that Saul tried to kill David. And so uh, the, the, the key thing there is that the Lord is with Saul and the Lord is not with, uh, excuse me, the Lord's not with Saul, the Lord is with David. Look at verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David for the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. So that tells us what happens. And we see this, that the Lord is with David because David obeys and David is blessed, being blessed and David's going to be the next king. And the Lord has departed from Saul because he's rejected God, he's disobeyed God, and there's judgment on him. Now, I just wanted to remind you something about the Holy Spirit, because there's not a whole lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It's there, of course. But when we think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, first of all, I'm just going to put these things up right here. The Holy Spirit is God. The first thing you got to realize is there's, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Some people, when they think of the Holy Spirit, they think of a force 
like Star Wars, you know, the force is with you. The Holy Spirit's not a force. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's God. The Father is God. He is a spirit being, by the way. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a spirit being. And Jesus is God, but he left the glories of heaven and became a human being. So Jesus isn't a spirit being. He's got a human body. So that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is power. Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The power to live the Christian life is, is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually gives spiritual gifts. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts that you can be that you can use to serve within the body of Christ. And I didn't put a lot of other things up there, but the Holy Spirit also illuminates the Scripture, meaning that as you're studying the Bible, as you're digging it, and you're in fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit helps you to grasp how it fits together. And then also the Holy Spirit prays for us in Romans chapter 8. It says sometimes we don't even know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit actually makes intercession for us. So the Holy Spirit is is God in us. Now that's something you got to think about. Every one of us in this room, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you have put your faith in him for eternal life, God actually lives inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit, and that's the power. So anyway, the Holy Spirit has left Saul. That has nothing to do with salvation in the Old Testament. Holy Spirit has left Saul and is with David. So it says that Saul was afraid of David. And so look what happens. Uh, and, and by the way, if you, if you were afraid of somebody, if you didn't like somebody, if you were jealous of somebody, you wouldn't want to be around them very much. So look what Saul does. Look at verse 13. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence, that's David, and appointed him as a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Now Saul, they won't have anything to do with David because he's afraid of him. He's, he's afraid that David's going to take over the kingdom. The truth is David is going to take over the kingdom. David's already been anointed by God to be the next king. Our question that could be is, wonder why when God rejected Saul and God picked David, why did David, why did God wait 15 years before David became the king? Well, maybe David wasn't ready yet to rule. And we just don't know. But anyway, this is what's going to happen and and we're going to see how it fits together. Uh, David, verse 14, David was prospering in all his ways for the Lord was with him. And that's what's so amazing is God is, God is helping him. He's got the power of the Holy Spirit. He's serving God. He is a faithful man. Let, let me just say this, that when you look at the nation of Israel with Saul as the king, they're pitiful. They're not doing well at all. If it wasn't for Jonathan and David, they would have no victories whatsoever. They would be in trouble. It's because weak leadership is because the leadership of Saul is bad. When we look at our world and we look at our country and we look at all the other countries and you look at leaders in the world, when you have strong, godly leaders, countries prosper. When you have weak, ungodly leaders, countries do not prosper. Just look at it and watch. And we see it here in the life of Israel. When Saul is the king, they're doing poorly. When David becomes the king, wow, things change. Well, look what happens. Verse 15, when Saul saw that he was prospering, he dreaded him greatly. He, 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 when he saw him prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came before them. Saul dreaded him. Saul was afraid of him. Now, you you got to understand something. By this time, Saul is probably at least 50 years old and maybe older. And David might not even be 20 yet. He might not even be 20. 
And yet Saul, the king of Israel, is afraid of David. He knows that David is a godly man. He's watched David, how the people just flock to David, how they love David because David's godly. David lives for God. David says, I fight for the Lord. Saul, meanwhile, is jealous, envious, all of those kind of things. And so look what happens in verse 15. When Saul saw that uh, he was prospering greatly, he dreaded, he dreaded him, but all Israel and Judah loved David. The people loved David. David. Well, what's going to happen? Well, let me remind you of something that when David killed Goliath, if you remember when, when Goliath would come out there and Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall, he would challenge Israel. And when David got there and saw him, he said, what about this man? And they turned around and said, well, King Saul said, whoever kills that man will, will have to know his family won't have to pay taxes. He'll get to marry one of his daughters and, and he'll be wealthy. And see, that's what the king promised. Whoever killed Goliath, no taxes, wealth, and marriage. Well, David killed Goliath. So here's the question. Did David, did, did his family not have to pay taxes anymore? Did David marry one of Saul's daughters? Did David get a whole bunch of money? Well, we'll find out in just a few minutes. But let me, let me tell you something. If you think about the character of Saul, do you think Saul's going to keep his word or not? Well, you can imagine he's not going to keep his word. We don't know whether uh, uh, David's family had to pay taxes anymore, but we'll find out about the other two in just a minute as we go through. Look at verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here's my older daughter, Mareb. I'll give her to you as a wife. Only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, my hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And so what Saul decides to do is he says, I'm going to give my oldest daughter to David. And he says, what I'm telling him is, but if you want to marry my daughter, you've got to go fight a bunch of battles. And he said, what I'm hoping is, while David's fighting those battles, somebody will kill him, and I don't have to worry about him anymore. I mean, notice what it says there. Now, look at the kind of person he is. He says, Saul thought, my hand shall not be against him. It won't be me killing him, but let, let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Let them kill him. Well, look at David's response to this. David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I would be, I should be the king's son-in-law? Now, David is saying, I'm unimportant. We see the humility of David. Now, let me tell you something. David is not unimportant. David is not little. David is famous. He's already killed Goliath. He's already been known as a warrior. He's already known as a man after God's own heart. People are flocking to David. And when Saul says, I'll let you marry my daughter, Merab, David says in humility, oh, I'm not important. My family's not important. I, me, I, I would be the son-in-law to the king. That's what David's actually saying. And we see David's humility. And you know, that's the key to our lives. It's humility and faithfulness. They tie together. Listen, we got to do what God has for us to do. And when we do it, it's humility. We don't live our lives saying, look what I did. We live our lives saying, look what God did through me. Whenever God uses you, whenever you, you know, you, maybe you lead somebody to Christ or you teach somebody something or you help them do something and somebody might say to you, wow, thank you, that was good. It's just say, grace of God, God is so good. He's so good and he just lets me do this. See, we just realize that we get to serve God. Now, a lot of people don't want to, but most of us who really want to, we get to say, we get to do it. He allows us to serve God him. He is so good. He is so good. We see the humility of David. Well, look what happens. Verse 19. So it came about at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David. 
She was given to Abriel. What? What? You can almost see David saying, I think this is the, this is the time I'm supposed to marry his daughter. And then they say, oh, no, no, she, she, she was given to that other guy with her. What? I thought I was supposed to marry her. I guess not. Saul keep his word? No, he doesn't keep his word. Saul's jealous of David. The only reason he wanted David to marry Moab was so maybe the Philistines would kill him. That's what he's hoping. That's what he's hoping. That's not going to happen. So it came about at the time when Moab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David. She was given to somebody else. Why? Why does Saul go back on his word? We don't know. How do we respond when somebody cheats us, lies to us, breaks their word? What if somebody said to you something and, you, and then you say, well, you said this? And you said, no, I didn't. You, yeah, you did. You said you would do that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. You said you would do this. You gave me this. No, I didn't. You promised me this. No, I didn't. How do we do, how do we respond when people do us wrong? When people talk about you behind your back? We said this, listen, there's going to be somebody, if it hadn't already happened in your life, there's going to be somebody that you've never done anything wrong to, and they're going to say bad things about you, and they're going to hate you. And you know what? They're going to hate you because they don't like the way you look, they don't like the way you talk, they don't like what you do, they, they, they're jealous of you or they're not jealous of you. There's sometimes there are going to be people who dislike you for no other reason than the fact that you're you. And you could say, what did I ever do to them? And the answer is nothing. How are you going to respond to that? You going to get them back? You going to say, they're not going to treat me like that? What do we do? How do we respond when somebody breaks their word? When somebody lies to us? What has Saul done? He's tried to kill David. Saul has gone back on his word. Saul is jealous of David. How do we respond? With vengeance or with love? Do we return evil with good? That's what David's going to do. You know what? David's never going to do anything to Saul. David's never going to try to kill Saul. David's never going to try to get Saul back. In fact, David goes on with his life trusting God. I want to read something to you. This is found in Romans. You don't have to turn there at all, but this is Romans chapter 12. And listen to what the Bible says. And this is probably one of the hardest things in our Christian lives. And here's what he says. Romans 12, verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. In other words, if they do something wrong to you, don't do something wrong back to them. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Now, sometimes you can do all you can do, but they're still going to be mad at you no matter what you do. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give him a drink. For doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. Then he says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How are you going to respond when somebody does wrong to us? Do we return evil with good? And let me tell you, that's probably the hardest thing you're going to ever have to do. When somebody hurts you on purpose and you end up doing something good for them. David goes on with his life. David leaves vengeance to the Lord. There's a story where David is on the run from Saul. This is later on. We'll see it. 
Saul's trying to kill him, and he's hunting down David, and David's got a good bunch of men, and David and his men get up in a cave, and they hide in the back of the cave, and it just so happens that Saul comes to the cave, and Saul says, excuse me for a minute, I'm going to go in the cave. He goes in the cave to use the bathroom. And while Saul is in the cave using the bathroom, the guys with David says, there he is. You can kill him. You can stop him from hunting you down. You can kill him right now. And David says, I will never touch the Lord's anointed. I will never kill him. He says, perhaps he'll go to war and he'll lose someday. Or God will strike him down. But I will never return evil with evil. How do we respond when people do us wrong? David leaves the vengeance to the Lord. Well, watch what happens. So if you said to David, well, what happened to, you? What happened to your wife? What happened to the girl you were going to marry? He went, I don't know. <laughs> she got given to somebody else. Well, now verse 20, look what, look what we find here. Now, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. Let me just say this. Who didn't love David? Everybody, he's the greatest. When they told Saul, the thing was agreeable to him. Now, Saul has another daughter. Her name's Michael, and she loves David. I mean, she's let the word be out that I would love David. He is the greatest. I mean, he's handsome. He's smart. He's a, he can play music. He's a warrior. I mean, he's everything. And so the word gets out that Michael loves David. And so... Saul thought, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David, for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. So he comes, he gets word to David. We'll see it in just a second how he does it. For a second time, Saul is going to offer him a, a daughter. And, and if you're David, you're going to go, are you sure? I mean, uh, is, I mean, is this going to work out this time? It didn't work out last time. But look what happened. Saul commanded, verse 22, his servants to speak to David secretly, saying, Behold, the king delights in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. You notice it wasn't public? See, the first time that Saul wanted David to become his son-in-law, and they announced it. And then he took her away. And everybody knows it. The second time, it's secret. Notice what he said? They secretly spent to David and said, Would you become the, the king's son-in-law? So they said to him, they spoke to David, you know, would you do it? In verse 23, David said to them, it's trivial in your sight to become the son-in-law since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. Wait, wait a minute, what? Poor man? I thought if you killed Goliath, what did you get? Wealth? He didn't give him any wealth. Listen, Saul went back on his word. I'll bet you that they didn't get the taxes paid either. I mean, Saul is that kind of man. And so David doesn't have any money. And so now the king has come for a second time and said, I want you to be my son-in-law. So Saul's servant spoke to him, but David said, I can't do that. I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed. Well, what did he mean by that? I don't know if you understand, but in the Jewish culture, here's the dad, here's the daughter, here's the son, here's the, the, the one that wants to marry the daughter. That would be the son-in-law. When he comes to ask for her hand, he brings money. He brings a dowry. He brings a down payment. He brings it and gives it to the father. Well, David says, I don't have any money to buy, to basically to get Michael. So I can't be the son-in-law. I don't have any money. So watch what happens. Verse 24, the servants, the servants reported to him all these words which David spoke. And then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not expect, desire any dowry. You don't have to come up with any money except... 
a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now Saul had planned to make David fall by the hands of the Philistines. Now, here's what he really came up with. He said, you got to go kill a hundred Philistines. We know what a foreskin is. So I'm not going to go into detail. you got to go kill these men, get that, bring it back and say, here's a hundred of these. I killed a hundred men. Now, Saul says, this is a great idea because surely out of those hundred men, somebody's going to kill David, and I don't have to put up with him. So I'm going to say, instead of money, just go kill a hundred Philistines. That's the plan. So what happens? When the servants told David these words, it pleased David to become the king's son. He said, okay. So watch what he did. There was a time limit on this thing, so watch. Before the days had expired, David rose and went, and he and his men struck down 200 men among the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins, and he brought them in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, for a wife. He didn't get 100. He killed 200. You can see Saul thinking, maybe while he's out there, one of those 100 will kill him. David comes back, and he goes, oh, I guess he made it. And he says, oh, I didn't get 100. I got 200. So Saul has got to give him the daughter. Well, things look better, doesn't it? I mean, if you're David and you say, look, I'm married to Saul's daughter, surely he's going to stop trying to kill me. I mean, really. I mean, if you're married to the, to, the, to the daughter of the king, the king won't try to kill you. I mean, normally, you'd think so. Well, look what happens. Verse 28. Then Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Wow. He's after him. You could say, if you're David, what did I ever do to Saul? I, I, I fought Goliath for him. I, I've, I played music for him. I, I've been his armor bearer for him. I've married his daughter. I've treated her right. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Why does he hate me? He hates David because he's jealous of him. He hates David because he's afraid of him. He hates David because he knows deep down that David's going to probably be the king one day. That's what he knows. So verse 28, 29, then Saul was even more afraid of David. That's what we see. So let's look at this. Saul hates and fears David because he's broken his word. David does not return evil. David trusts God. Has David done anything against Saul? No. Has David tried to get Saul back in any way? No. Does David know he's going to be the next king? Yes. And you could almost see David saying, Lord, I don't understand why, if, if he's not supposed to be the king and I'm supposed to be the king, why are you letting him hunt me down? I don't understand it. Sometimes we don't understand what's going on. But David waits on God's timing and leaves vengeance to the Lord. See, sometimes in our lives, we say, that doesn't seem right. They're going to get away with this. No, they're not. You just got to wait on God's timing. He'll do everything exactly right. So verse 30, then the, commands, the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often they went out to battle, that David behaved himself wisely. It means he was a great leader and a great thing, and it says that all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. So we end this chapter with David being more and more famous every day, and the people love David. Saul is afraid of him. Let me show you something that in just in this passage, let me just show you this. This is what we find. In verse 8, Saul became very angry at David. Verse 9, David was, uh, Saul was suspicious of David. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. Verse 15, Saul is, uh, dreaded David. Verse 29, he was afraid of him and he was his enemy. This is what we find. 
Sometimes in your life, there will be somebody who will be opposed to you and you've never done anything wrong to them. How are you going to respond to that? Well, let me give you some applications. Let's respond biblically when we're wronged. I mean, this is probably the hardest part of all because it is natural to think that when somebody hurts us that it's not right, they shouldn't get away with it, and it's wrong, and they need to pay for it, so to speak. Well, how do we respond? Let's respond with good. Now, that's the hardest one of all. Listen, all the things that you start saying about how do I treat other people, when somebody does you wrong and the Bible says, well, then do them good, you say, you think I'm going to do good to somebody who just did me wrong? Well, that's what, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Never return evil with evil, but return evil with good. That's uh, Romans chapter 12. To no fault of your own, sometime there will be somebody who will not like you and be against you. Just be ready for it. Second, vengeance belongs to the Lord. They'll not get away with evil. God does not let people get away with evil. We have to trust. Now, I have to bring up one thing. I know time is almost up, but I have to bring one other thing. Tied in with this whole thing of, of leaving vengeance to the Lord is this idea of forgiveness. We have to forgive people. When they do us wrong, we have to forgive them. Now, the Greek word forgive means to lift up and take away. Forgiveness means release the debt. Forgiveness means you let it go. That doesn't mean you might not remember it. Sometimes you might think about what somebody did to you, but forgiveness means that you're not expecting anything back. You're letting it go. You're not saying, one of these days they need to come here to me and tell me that they're so sorry for what they did. They may never do that. You must release the debt. If you do not release the debt, if you do not forgive people, you will become bitter and angry and depressed. Forgiveness is for you. Release the debt. Let it go. Trust God. God will handle the situation. Second application, let's be faithful servants of our Savior. Just like David was. That's what he did. That's what he did. And when, when we live, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that that's what David's doing. Uh, the Holy Spirit lives in us. First Corinthians says, what do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. That's First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. God lives inside of us. We want to glorify him. And let me just say this. Leave the timing to God. Because we never know when he's got, what he's going to do, how he's going to use you, how he's going to work all these things out. Live lives of humility. It is the grace of God we get to do anything. It's the grace of God he lets us live another day. You don't have to be alive. He doesn't have to let you live. He loves you. He wants you to serve him. It is his grace that we get to serve the living God. So live lives of humility.